This is a political hit, part of liberals' years-long quest to delegitimize the court. Mm, no, Mitch, I, I think you beat him to that one. Well done. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, boy, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hey. Coming up, we will be joined by the great Lisa Graves, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General, former Chief Counsel for Nominations in the Senate, former Deputy Chief for the U.S. court system. Can't hold a job. Sounds like a classic underachiever. There you go. Uh, <laughs> she was, at the time, at the U.S. court system, by the way, overseeing federal judges uh, when she was there. All uh, the credentials that, frankly, make her perfect to discuss the latest revelations of unspeakable corruption. And yes, we have still new uh, revelations just revealed on Tuesday from the unspeakably corrupt U.S. Justice, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And by the way, new revelations that Trump appointed U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, who recently banned abortion pills in all 50 states. You may have heard, uh, though that ruling is currently on hold. Uh, Kaczmarek blatantly lied and or committed out-and-out fraud, as I see it, during his Senate confirmation in 2017. Lisa Graves will join us momentarily to discuss all of that and much more, like what, for example, are Democrats able to and or gonna do about any of that corruption to our federal court system, uh, frankly, from top to bottom at this point. But we must start here today with the least surprising news of the week. President Joe Biden made it official on Tuesday, announcing his reelection bid for 2024, four years to the day after announcing his successful 2020 campaign. In a video titled Freedom, which opens with a scene of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, followed by images of protests in favor of abortion rights at the U.S. Supreme Court. 
Biden says that after spending his first term fighting for the country's democracy, quote, MAGA extremists are lining up, unquote, to, among other things, cut the social safety net and take away personal liberties and, yes, freedoms. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. To protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. Cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what healthcare decisions women can make, banning books and telling people who they can love, all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we were in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom. More rights or fewer? I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty, respect, and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Thank you for choosing Thank us. You. Every generation of Americans has faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. So if you're with me, go to JoeBiden.com and sign up. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together. There you go. Joe Biden's re-election announcement video. The uh, launch is an effort to position him as the nation's best hope to defeat a Republican opponent and cement his administration's successes. And yes, there have been many of them as he heads into 2024. He was the Trump slayer before, and clearly he believes that he can serve that role again. Biden launched his previous campaign in 2019 with a video warning that four more years of Donald Trump would, quote, forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are. And and that video four years ago highlighted the 2017 violence at a white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where Donald Trump refused to condemn them, saying there was fine people on both sides. This time it was the Trump inspired violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Biden has again and again painted a contrast with so-called MAGA Republicans and elected GOP officials and their attacks on the middle class and working Americans, a message that helped propel Biden to his first victory in 2020 and bolstered Democratic midterm wins in 2022, helping to stave off a red wave last November. 
In response, and only a little hilariously, Ronna Romney McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, took aim at Biden's announcement by characterizing him as out of touch. <laughs> oh, Ronna. Biden is, quote, Biden is so out of touch that after creating, creating crisis after crisis, he thinks he deserves another four years, McDaniel said in a statement on Tuesday. If voters let Biden, quote, finish the job, inflation will continue to skyrocket. In fact, it's been falling for almost a year now. Crime rates will rise. In fact, the U.S. violent crime rate fell last year. More fentanyl will cross our open borders. And there's not a lot of recent data on that, but the rate of fentanyl overdoses skyrocketed uh, uh, during the Trump presidency. And yes, continues to rise, according to the most recent numbers during the Biden administration. She says children will continue to be left behind unclear what she's actually referring to there and she says american families will be worse off now unemployment is at a 50-year low and middle-class wages have been steadily rising under biden for the first time in decades even as some of that increase has been offset by post-pandemic inflation and corporate profiteering and it's also worth the reminder that Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic was an historic disaster in virtually every regard, with hundreds of thousands of Americans being killed by the disease unnecessarily. That, according to the chief of Donald Trump's own COVID response team. But yeah, other than that, uh, you know, those facts and stuff. Sure, it's it's Joe Biden who is out of touch. Republicans are united, she says, to uh, beat Biden and Americans are counting down the days until they can send Biden packing. The uh, she said the RNC also released their own video. This one slamming Biden's reelection bid featuring AI generated video clips and images to depict an apocalyptic future if the president wins a second term. This just in, we can now call the 2024 presidential race for Joe Biden. This morning, an emboldened China invades Taiwan. Financial markets are in free fall as 500 regional banks have shuttered their doors. Border agents were overrun by a surge of 80,000 illegals yesterday evening. Officials closed the city of San Francisco this morning, citing the escalating crime and fentanyl crisis. <laughs> Who's in charge here? It feels like the train is coming off the tracks. So, yes, 500 banks shut down, 80,000 immigrants a day coming into the country. The entire city of San Francisco is closed. Yeah, right. That's uh, going to happen. But yeah, Joe Biden is out of touch. Okay. Team Trump uh, added for their part uh, to the RNC's message by charging, quote, America is on the brink of a deadly nuclear war. <laughs> oh, okay. And other apocalyptic and largely false inanities in order to declare that, uh, quote, Joe Biden does not deserve four more years to further destroy America. Did I mention that uh, Trump's own COVID director told Congress that some 400,000 Americans actually died unnecessarily thanks to Trump's mishandling of the crisis? 
Quote, President Trump made America great once and he will do it again, said his uh, super PAC spokesperson. I guess he's referring to the greatest job losses in history during any American presidential administration. Maybe that's what he means by make it great again. Uh, or is it those nearly half a million Americans that uh, the president helped kill? Anyway, two other Democrats at the moment are mounting challenges to Joe Biden. That would be vaccine opponent Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And self-help author and spiritual guru Marianne Williamson, who uh, she ran also in 2020. You might remember her. She quit in 2020 uh, before the Iowa caucuses. But of course, there is the undeniable matter of Biden's advanced age, who already as the oldest commander in chief in history, if reelected, he would turn 82. Just weeks thereafter, he would leave office at the age of 86. 53% of Americans reported a favorable opinion of Biden four years ago, according to Gallup. Today, 56% of Americans disapprove of the job that Biden is doing, compared to 40% who approve. According to a new NBC News poll, 70% of Americans, including 51% of Democrats, do not want Biden to run for president in 2024 with nearly half of respondents citing his age as the top reason for that. The survey shows Biden trailing a generic Republican among registered voters. Uh, however, luckily for Biden, he is unlikely to be running against a generic Republican. <laughs> Good point. As of now, anyway, he is most likely going to be running against Trump. That's a very big difference than a generic Republican. Is there such a thing as a generic Republican at all anymore? Anyway, those numbers, of course, um, could be an obstacle for Biden if Republicans nominate someone other than Trump, which uh, frankly syncs up with my long argument that Trump would be most likely the easiest candidate for Democrats to defeat next year. But the fact is, as of four days ago, anyway, only about half of Democrats think President Biden should run again. But a large majority say that they would be likely to support him if, in fact, he becomes the nominee. That, according to new polling from AP, finding that uh, just 26 percent of Americans overall wanted to see Biden run again four days ago, up slightly from 22 percent who felt that way in January. Just 47 percent of Democrats say they want him to run again. That's up about 10 percent, however, from January. Despite the reluctance of many Democrats to see Biden run for another term, however, 78 percent of them say, say that they approve of the job that Joe Biden is doing as president. And a total of 81 percent of Democrats say they would at least probably support Biden in a general election if he is the nominee. Forty one percent say they definitely would. Forty say they probably would. AP goes on to report on some of the respondents who sort of sum up Democrats' concerns that the president is going to have to overcome. For example, 50-year-old Jennifer Lagana said she likes Biden. She praised him for providing a, quote, breath of fresh air, and she approves of how he's doing his job as president. But she says, my problem with him running in 2024 is that he's just so old. Others said his age was actually an asset. However, Steve Forey, a 47-year-old man, said that uh, Biden's decades in Washington proved valuable 
in quote, because he's done a lot to fix the country in a very short time. He said one of the benefits of living a long life is that you have a lot of wisdom to impart. If you gain as much experience as Biden has, it would be a shame to simply disregard him because of his age, which I think is fair, too, though. In truth, I don't think it's his age that people worry about. I think it's his health. But if we're looking at math, uh, both the current and former president face resistance in a general election. A total of 65 percent of U.S. adults say they would definitely or probably not support former President Trump if he is nominated. 65 percent say definitely or probably not, while only 56 percent of Americans say they would be unlikely to support Biden in the uh, in a general election. So it looks like it could be an election of who the American people don't want the least. <laughs> and of course, uh, if you're a Republican, it might be a matter of how many of your opponents voters you can prevent from voting or well, yeah. or having their votes counted as cast. Forty five year old Shaquine McGee of Georgia is only concerned about Biden's age as well. But she said that if Biden does officially become the Democratic nominee in 24, she would definitely support him, quote, because we can't take another Trump. Democrats and other voters continue to view Trump as a threat to the nation itself. That's another parallel to Biden's winning 2020 campaign. Quote, folks are still concerned about the threat that Trump poses, said Jeff Link, a top Iowa political strategist and veteran of Democratic presidential campaigns. Having a second Biden term, he said, is critical for making sure that Trump doesn't get back in the White House. So there you go. Deja vu all over again, at least for today. Uh, more on all of that, I suspect, in future days. But let's take a quick break right now and we will come back with the ongoing and continuing threats the nation is facing right now from years of corrupted Republican pact federal courts. Stand by for Lisa Graves. She's up next. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to the broadcast. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, it's a it's a day that ends in Y. So, you know, uh, the arguably most corrupt U.S. Supreme Court justice in history 
Clarence Thomas is in the headlines yet again today with more news of his seemingly never-ending corruption. According to Bloomberg News and CNN on Tuesday, a company related to Republican megadonor Harlan Crow, a longtime friend of Clarence Thomas, who paid for hundreds of thousands of dollars in undisclosed lavish trips for the Supreme Court Justice and his MAGA activist wife Ginny, as recently disclosed by ProPublica. Well, as, as it turns out, Harlan Crow had business before the Supreme Court in the mid-2000s, according to court records. Imagine that. The revelation challenges assertions by both men that their relationship was completely separate from Thomas's role as a Supreme Court justice and is likely to add to still more scrutiny over his ethical or actually unethical conduct. Justice Thomas's trips paid for by Crow on Crow's private jet and super yacht all over the country and indeed all over the world were never disclosed on Thomas's mandatory financial disclosure forms, where Thomas, as we reported way back in 2011, had also failed to disclose decades of his his wife's own annual salary from places like the Far Right Heritage Foundation which paid her some $120,000 a year. Oops, forgot, even as Clarence in the place on his financial disclosure forms where it says quite clearly spouse's non-investment income, including salary and benefits. Well, Clarence had checked the box reading none year after year after year, concealing some $700,000 in salary to his wife until he was called out for it and quietly then back in 2011, amended some 20 years of those forms. Forms, by the way, that he had signed just above the warning, that, which is in bold and all caps reading, Note, any individual who knowingly and willfully falsifies or fails to file this report may be subject to civil and criminal sanctions. Well, Clarence Thomas was never subjected to any civil or criminal fines for his falsification of those disclosure forms. Of course, perhaps he didn't understand all that complicated legalese. You know, he's only a U.S. Supreme Court justice with a lifetime tenure sitting in judgment of how everyone else is uh, subject to civil and criminal sanctions. But following the recent revelations that Crow, Harlan Crow, had sponsored decades of extravagant vacations for Thomas and his wife and even purchased Clarence Thomas's still-living mother's house from him, allowing her to live rent-free since then and while gifting her some $36,000 in home improvements, well, Thomas released a statement this month insisting that Crow, quote, did not have business before the court. Well, to give Clarence the benefit of the doubt, maybe he meant that particular day that he made that statement. Back in January of 2005, the Supreme Court declined to hear Womack and Hampton Architects versus Metric Holdings Limited Partnership, according to the docket on the court's website. Had a justice been recused from participating in that particular case, it would have been noted, but there is no such notation. A corporate disclosure statement attached to the filing says that the corporate parent of Metric Holdings is Trammell Crow Residential Company. According to a statement from Harlan Crow's office, quote, at the time of this case, Trammell Crow Residential operated completely independently 
of Crow Holdings. Crow Holdings had a minority interest in the parties involved in this case and therefore no control of these entities. Uh Uh-huh. Feel better? Crow's office goes on to insist that, quote, Harlan Crow has never discussed this or any other case with the justice. Well, if you say so, when the architecture firm filed its appeal to the Supreme Court, Harlan Crow was, in fact, Crow Holdings chief executive officer and chair of its board, a position that he still holds. Thomas, via a Supreme Court spokesperson, declined to comment for this latest story. I bet he did. Earlier this month, after ProPublica first reported on the trips that were paid for by Harlan Crow, Thomas explained in a statement that he had not disclosed the trips because he was advised that he did not have to disclose them. He did not have to report them under ethics rules that were in place at the time, which, as it turns out, appears to be completely false. In a rare statement from Thomas and his wife, Ginny, they said they considered Crow and his wife as the quote as their quote, dearest friends. Thomas said that the trips were the quote, sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends that he was advised he did not have to disclose. Uh, But that's not all that we have to chat with our guest about today, someone who is uniquely qualified, I think, to discuss a whole bunch of related matters regarding Republican federal judges who seem to believe that they are above the law entirely and Democrats who still do not seem to be taking the threat posed by such jurors as seriously as it seems to me like they should. Joining us today for all of that is our old friend Lisa Graves, who is now executive director of TrueNorthResearch.org and has over many years spearheaded several major breakthrough investigations into those corrupting American democracy and public policy, folks like Harlan Crow and, of course, the infamous Koch brothers. Helpfully, by the way, Lisa also happens to be a former deputy assistant attorney general at the U.S. Justice Department. She also served as a former chief counsel for nominations in the U.S. Senate and as a former deputy chief for the U.S. court system, where she was deputy chief of the Article Three Judges Division. That may come in handy when we get to my questions about the apparent corruption of far right activist U.S. District Judge uh, U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek whose decision to ban the use of mifepristone, the popular abortion pill, despite 23 years of safe and effective use under the FDA approval, was recently put on hold by the U.S. Supreme Court pending appeal at the 5th U.S. Court of Appeals. Oh, Lisa Graves, welcome back to the broadcast. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. How long do we have today? I know there's so much to cover. That's so it. We're out of time after that introduction. <laughs> uh, thank you for... Yeah, we do. We got a lot to cover. Uh, But let me uh, I I had a lot to cover to ask you about uh, these corrupt federal judges and the Senate Democrats trying and or not trying to do something about them Uh, before the latest news about Clarence Thomas and his seemingly endless corruption. Let me get your top line reaction to that latest revelation about Thomas. And then we can back into a few of the other recent disclosures from Clarence and what can or can't or will or won't be done about any of it. Well, I would say this new revelation is really important because it does show that there were cases, or at least at least one case pending, that directly affected um, 
Harlan Crow's company. Mm -hmm. But that, that, I think, is just the tip of the iceberg, because the reality is, is that you have a number of instances that now have been documented by the press where Clarence Thomas has failed to disclose the American people his financial ties mm -hmm. to Harlan Crow, who is a very wealthy man who um, is, has been very active in, in right-wing politics, efforts to move the courts to the right for decades now, and who is someone who also has um, ties to Leonard Leo, who has been the architect of moving the courts to the far right, including mm -hmm. the fact that Leo cut his teeth trying to get uh, Clarence Thomas confirmed in the first place. So these are deep mm -hmm. and long relationships. And I also think that there's just no doubt that Thomas had to disclose those trips on those private jets, on the yacht. That sort of thing is just standard operating procedure. You have to disclose those gifts of travel. Um, you can't claim that, that you've got a friend who's just flying you around the country on their private jets. That's just not permissible. And I don't think any, any reasonable person would think so. But here you have a judge on the Supreme Court who has claimed to be following just the plain language of law and uh, sort of strict construction in destroying yep. people's freedoms yep. and not applying that same standard to himself and interpreting a very, a pretty unambiguous, quite frankly, unambiguous statute regarding what's um, hospitality and what's not, and travel is not. And then you have the case that you mentioned of him selling his mother's home mm -hmm. uh, for a substantial sum, in this, a six-figure sum, though he'd been declaring it as being worth much less and then accepting as part of that deal free rent for his mom for life and an upgraded uh, home to boot. Mm -hmm. So that is plainly, um, in my view, unlawful behavior to not disclose that, to fail to disclose that. That's a direct transaction with this person. Mm -hmm. And then there's more to the story. I think there's a lot more to come, um, and I'm eagerly awaiting awaiting more news about Thomas's corruption. And, uh, and that's just Clarence, not Jenny. You know, there's more, there's yes. more on Jenny. Yeah. No, I know, absolutely. And I want to talk about what, if anything, can actually be done about it. But as long as you went back to uh, Clarence's confirmation in 1991 mentioning uh, Leonard Leo, I was going to not go back that far. I was going to spare everyone. I was only going back to 2011 with his corruption. But in fact, you know, in 1991... He, uh, Clarence Thomas, got about $100,000 worth of support in advertisements at the time to push through his, uh, well, to understate it, uh, his wildly uh, uh, controversial Senate nomination at the time. He got about $100,000 in support in ads from a little-known, newly formed group at the time by the name of Citizens United. And, well, then we move the clock forward about 20 years to 2009 when this case, Citizens United, is heard and decided in 2010 that unleashed all of this dark money that you've been uh, investigating and writing about for so many years uh, in, in 2010. Clarence Thomas never recused himself, despite the fact that Citizens United was arguably uh, responsible for helping him get that seat in the first place. Shouldn't he have recused himself uh, back in uh, 2010 from the Citizens United case itself? Well, there's a couple of things. I think Thomas never should have been confirmed in the first place, but mm -hmm. having been confirmed, he certainly should have recused himself, and he should have been removed from office well before now. The, that Citizens United hike, uh, is such an important tie to underscore, mm -hmm. uh, Brad. I think that it shows that, you know, these um, outside groups have been very instrumental in trying to pack this court 
and then bring cases to change law, to change our rights. And in that instance, to strike down bipartisan campaign legislation, which is anti-corruption legislation, um, at the behest of, of the group called Citizens United to benefit what I call billionaires mm-hmm. united. Um, and it is a big deal. But that's not all. Um, <laughs> last spring, about a year ago, during the um, hearings and confirmation of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, we looked into a very suspicious situation, which was that right before um, the revelations that Jenny Thomas was uh, texting Mark Meadows about the insurrection, the attempted mm-hmm. coup, mm-hmm. Um, the, the, a group called Digital Crisis Network announced that it was going to spend $1.5 million in the Ketanji Brown-Jackson nomination. When those ads came, they were almost entirely about Clarence Thomas. They were promoting Clarence Thomas's <laughs> biopic. They were basically saying Ketanji Brown-Jackson doesn't like Clarence Thomas, but Clarence Thomas is great. Here's why Clarence Thomas is great. And it referred to a documentary about Thomas. And so it looked like a gift of $1.5 million mm-hmm. worth of advertising for Clarence Thomas right before the story broke about Jenny. Now, of course, Jenny knew that story was coming. She was the subject of questions by the Post um, about her role. And so you have what was a gift. Who paid for those ads trying to paint Thomas in a favorable light as that story was about to break? Mm. Um, what secret source paid for it? And let me tell you something else. That biopic, mm-hmm. uh, that biopic is the one where Clarence Thomas tells the American people that he prefers parking his RV yes. in a Walmart parking lot yeah. uh, rather than going to the beach or fancy trips. And yeah. you know who underwrote that film? Harlan Crow, yeah. the billionaire who's been flying him around the country. So as part of that investigation on our part, we looked into that film and we also uncovered as part of that work a picture that you've now seen of the painting of Clarence Thomas yep. sitting there with a cigar with Harlan Crow and, and Leonard Leo. So these are deep ties, and they're very troubling, and they show that this Supreme Court is under a cloud of illegitimacy because of Clarence Thomas's activities as well as his wife, and we need serious uh, changes to the court and serious reforms to protect our freedom. Well, and let's talk about that because this is only an hour-long show, and I suspect that we, could, if we, if we wanted to talk about Clarence Thomas's corruption, we would need a a much longer program. Not to mention the fact that apparently. Clarence is not the only one. Uh, there's uh, news that uh, Neil Gorsuch also uh, was involved in a deal and did not disclose that on his disclosure forms. Do I have that right? He did not recuse, um, even though mm-hmm. the uh, like lead partner of a major law firm that had, had cases before the court was appearing before the court. And so he had a real estate transaction mm-hmm. with a very wealthy lawyer who's a litigant whose firm litigates before the Supreme Court and had pending cases, and he did not recuse himself. So uh, the, the question then becomes, well, you know, what do we do about this, uh, what I've described as a packed and stolen and corrupted U.S. Supreme Court? Um, it, it seems to some respect that Democrats are kind of bringing a, a knife to a judicial gunfight here, but... Congressman Hank Johnson, who is a House Judiciary Committee member, who I like, we've had him on the show many times, he's called for Thomas, in any event, to resign from his post. It seems obvious that he should, but as long as there's a Democrat in the White House, it also seems pretty clear to me that ain't going to happen 
even in the event, frankly, that, you know, Clarence Thomas shoots someone on Fifth Avenue at this point, as the old saying goes. So if I'm right about that, what can and should be done, in fact, about the problem of the corrupt Clarence Thomas? And then I guess we would need to throw in uh, the corrupt Neil Gorsuch into the same bin. Well, you know, I, th- I think the Gorsuch situation where he did not reveal the name of the fact that he sold his house, he sold his property to this partner that has, whose firm has business before the court, like, that is a big deal. I don't want to dismiss that at all. I think Clarence Thomas's, you know, multi-decade um, uh, activity of, mm-hmm. of taking these lavish trips with a lot of people, it seems, that might also have been before the court, um, these private trips, uh, foreign trips, domestic trips to the resort that this billionaire owns up in uh, the Adirondacks, mm-hmm. like, that is a, that is a multi-year sort of almost generational uh, story of the corruption of Thomas, which is different than, like, this particular one, but serious, uh, serious thing with Gorsuch. So, Mm -hmm. like, they're both very serious, but I would just say Thomas's corruption is just so um, extensive Mm -hmm. and deep and persistent. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the challenge that we face is that our Constitution is, um, was drafted long before now, and it has some serious failures. Uh, serious it, it, things that it did not anticipate. One of the challenges we've seen uh, with, the, for example, with the um, failed impeachment of Donald Trump um, is that you, ha- you, you can get a majority in the House to impeach someone, mm-hmm. but you need 60 votes in the Senate to remove them, to, um, impe- you know, to, to mm-hmm. convict them of whatever you're impeaching them from. And as long as there's uh, 40 Republicans in the Senate, mm-hmm. there seems to be no way to, to break their blockade um, and and get to that sixty vote threshold to impeach anyone, even for an insurrection, a violent uh, attempted coup yeah. in the United States. Mm-hmm. So that in that that extent, someone like Thomas operates with a certain amount of impunity. But there are solutions. If there were a majority of Democrats in the House and a majority of Democrats in the Senate that would bypass any any um, wrangling by by Mansion or Cinema, mm-hmm. you could actually pass a term limit measure mm-hmm. that would bar Supreme Court justices to 20-year terms um, or some other period, but 20 years, and that would remove Clarence Thomas immediately without having to have uh, to deal with this Senate impeachment process. And it would also actually deal with this, um, the extraordinary packing of the Supreme Court by these dark money interests yeah. that have been you know, orchestrated by Leonard Leo and the billionaires who back him. You're, you're suggesting that they could, if they put in a term limits bill, well, I mean, I guess if they pass any bill, they can do whatever they want, but it, you're suggesting if they pass a term limits bill, obviously they'd have to reform the filibuster rule in order to do that. But if they passed the term limits, said 20 years uh, is the limit, that would immediately wipe out, what, uh, two, three uh, justices right off the bat, no? Yes. Uh, it would take it would it would remove two and then the third the next year. And That's that, correct. And that would be constitutional. And even if it wasn't, it'd have to go before this Supreme Court to decide if it was. Well, I think that the scholars who've looked at this question of what it means to um, you know the, the Article Three of the Constitution in terms of um, the service of a justice that there's no there's no restriction on having a, a limited term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's no bar in the Constitution that, that says you can't have a limited term. Um, it certainly could be litigated, but then wouldn't those justices themselves have to recuse themselves from deciding on whether they get to sit? <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. You know, it, 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 it creates a situation. But to my mind, the fact that what we've seen is these right-wingers 
accusing extremely young people like Clarence Thomas, who was barely 40 when right. he was put on the Supreme Court. That's why he's been there for more than 30 years. Mm-hmm. He's only in his 70s, could serve for another 10, 20 mm-hmm. years in uh, good health. Uh, even with the, uh, the numerous instances in which he has revealed himself to be unworthy of this position of public trust due to his actions, his, his failures to be honest with the American people about his financial transactions, about his wife's income, his, his refusal to recuse himself in the case involving Donald Trump where he was the sole dissenter to try to prevent um, Congress have, from having access to records that it should have access to, knowing full well, since he lives with his wife, <laughs> that she was probably texting Mark Meadows uh, that he knew of this. There's mm-hmm. no way that she was texting him with that frequency and hiding from him that she was texting Mark Meadows about these issues that she was very exercised about. So he knew, and he should have recused himself, but he didn't. And then there's the, you know, there's the trips, there's, you know, this issue with the, his parents' home, there's there's a lot of financial issues surrounding him. There's also the fact that he, you know, a- appeared at Coke donor events, at least mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and then it was later claimed that this was a Federal Society event by Leonard Leo and another Federal Society judge. I sort of imagine this event as being a couple of Federal Society judges, Thomas, and a couple others standing at the bar at the Coke event and calling it an event. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, because then, then that night, they, uh, that night, uh, uh, Charles Koch, the billionaire who's been trying to wreck our political system, who's injected hundreds of millions of dollars in dark money. Yep. He hosted at his fancy private club at his, at his resort home, uh, Clarence Thomas and Jenny Thomas. So this was not just like a, a happenstance thing. Like, no. and, and it was Charles, Charles Koch in his own words who told his donors, reminded them as he invited them for another event, that they had, quote, featured Clarence Thomas. Right. And also... Uh, Antonin Scalia, but Clarence Thomas. And so it's, it's fiction, in my view, to claim that this was just a, a, a stop by to pick up Jenny, who was there. Of course. Um, so there's a, just, a, 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 just a swirl of corruption that surrounds Clarence Thomas. He should be removed from office by any lawful means. Well, let's talk about that, because, I mean, you, you just listed a whole bunch of stuff which is clearly ethically corrupt at a minimum, but some of this stuff, the failure, you know, to, well, falsifying disclosure forms, failure to disclose some of this travel, is actually unlawful, is actually illegal. Now, Congressman uh, Johnson, Hank Johnson again, and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, they've also called for the uh, U.S. Judicial Conference to take action by referring these matters to the Department of Justice, the illegal ones. Does the Judicial Conference, and they sort of oversee uh, uh, the federal courts, do, does the Judicial Conference actually do that sort of thing, make referrals to the DOJ? And by the way, does the Department of Justice actually require such a referral before it can take action to actually hold Thomas accountable the way any of the rest of us would be held accountable for lying on federal forms? Well, the the reforms that came after Watergate that involved the disclosure of property transactions, for example, Mm -hmm. and this question of gifts, which defines uh, has this exception for hospitality from a friend, like a, pr- a friend has you over for dinner, mm-hmm. versus you know a, p- a political contributor, a someone who has business before the court or something, you know that sort of thing, where expressly private jet and yacht travel in the instructions in the interpretations has always been described as not right. the hospitality exception. Right. That's a thing that can be referred to the Justice Department through the um, through the judicial conference. The Judicial Conference is something that most Americans haven't heard about. I worked uh, with 
mm-hmm. did when I had that role at the U.S. Um, at the U.S. Courts when I was the deputy chief of the Article III Judges Division. They have their own uh, sort of staffing process, but we helped to support them. Mm-hmm. And that that body within the judiciary is made up of the chief judge of all of the circuit courts, which is the appellate courts in the federal system, and mm-hmm. then representatives from the federal federal district courts. So under statute, they are the body that is designated for re- making referrals to the Justice Department for violations of those of that particular law. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how many times, if any, they have. What I do know is this is definitely an instance in which they should. And I certainly applaud Senator Whitehouse and Representative Johnson for, for making that request or demand, because the judiciary should. Now, will the judiciary, after the court packing that has gone mm-hmm. on uh, mm-hmm. by Donald Trump, you know, will that, will that body act impartially and, and refer that case? I'm not sure, because you, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, Brad, um, when, uh, when the fact that uh, Brett Kavanaugh lied under oath and yep. you know, had otherwise uh, serious problems that I helped document and that you covered and yep. others, when matters were referred to the judiciary, not that judicial conference, but the judiciary, the D.C. Circuit, where he had sat, basically that got kicked down the road to say that they didn't have jurisdiction because he was mm-hmm. now on the Supreme Court. <laughs> so that did not inspire confidence that the judiciary will actually enforce even its own yep. rules. Um, and, and against itself. And and meanwhile, we don't even need to wait for that. I mean, the uh, Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice, does not even need to wait for that. They can, without such a referral, simply bring some sort of of, of uh, legal action. Could they not? Yes, absolutely. The Justice Department does not require a referral from some other agency in order to act on a, a crime violation of law. It does so innumerable times during the course of any given year. And this is an instance in which I think, you know, certainly the, the Justice Department could examine the records and see for itself in terms, and also for the purposes of, you know, sanction what Thomas did and what the applicable penalties would be. And so I think the Justice Department should act. Now, I, I'm a believer in the Justice Department, um, uh, having served there yeah. as Deputy Assistant Attorney General, although some of these past Attorney Generals have given me great pause, uh, like Barr mm-hmm. and some of his predecessors. But... As much as much as I have confidence in Merrick Garland's capability of doing the job, I have been, you know, personally disappointed with the speed of that mm. effort um, with regard to Trump and some other matters. Now, I believe that they, you know, are working forward, and obviously Jack Smith, according to information in the news, is working forward on those cases. But it's now 2023. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there has not been a, an indictment, in essence, coming out of the Justice Department. You know, so that causes me some concern about whether this Justice Department will act with dispatch, mm-hmm. will act with appropriate speed, and by appropriate speed, I mean soon, to investigate Clarence Thomas and his violations of these long-standing federal laws uh, regarding um, gifts and regarding, you know, property transactions. Well, I, I would uh, just jump in to say that, uh, you know, to some extent, you know, because there's a lot of argument of whether they're moving with the proper uh, speed when it comes to Donald Trump and so forth. But either way, whether they're moving too fast or too slow or anything else, the idea that they are going after a former president, I think, kind of puts them in a place where, okay, you're going after, you may bring indictments for the first time ever against a former president, so now you're also going to bring indictments, I think for the first time ever, against a sitting U.S. Uh, uh, Supreme Court justice. 
I mean, it's all ends up being, you know, quite political. And, you know, whether Merrick Garland has the guts to do that remains to be seen. So far, no sign of it. Uh, Lisa Graves, I I got a a few more points that I want to hit here. Like I said, we could go all day on this, but below the Supreme Court level, uh, CNN recently unearthed two interviews with Christian talk radio in which the Amarillo, Texas, U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, the he of abortion pill ban fame and corrupt GOP venue shopping fame, where he failed to disclose his 20 uh, these interviews. He failed to disclose them during his 2017 confirmation process. Among the things that he said in these interviews, in these undisclosed interviews, Kaczmarek referred to being gay as a, quote, lifestyle. He expressed concern that new norms for, quote, people who experience same-sex attraction would lead to clashes with religious institutions. He described the latest changes in sexual norms, beginning with, quote, no-fault divorce, I guess that's still controversial and, uh, quote, permissive policies on contraception. Now, that discovery came after The Washington Post had reported days earlier that Kaczmarek had also, which seems even more disturbing, failed to disclose to the Senate Judiciary Committee a law review article that he himself had authored. And then he had subsequently removed his name from it. Uh, It was an article where he was criticizing Obama-era protections for transgender people and people seeking abortions, obviously something that is you know, very uh, much uh, crucial to deciding whether he is appropriate and, and fit as a federal judge. So this is the guy who just single-handedly tried to overrule 23 years of approval by the entire FDA on Mifepristone. He hears every single federal case that is filed in North Texas, which is why the challengers in the abortion pill case created an organization there in the first place. But It's one thing to forget, oh, you were on a radio show and you said some things, but forgetting to note that you authored a law review article, which you then turn around and actually ask the uh, article, uh, the the publishers to take your name off of and put two junior colleagues on instead of you. That just seems like out and out fraud at that point. Uh, am I wrong? Are Democrats taking that matter seriously enough? Is the DOJ, should the DOJ be involved in something like that? I mean, is that my imagination or is that something that is definitely impeachment worthy at this point? Well, let me just start with uh, your previous statement, Brad, which is I, whatever they do regarding Thomas, if the Justice Department were to pursue it, it will be called political. But the fact of the matter is, is that the rule of law has to mean that it applies to people regardless of their party, mm-hmm. and regardless of whether people perceive it as political, if they are violating the law, if they're breaking the law. And so I do think that Thomas should be investigated. I mm-hmm. think there's, there, there's ample evidence that he has you know, failed to comply with the law, and, and I don't think it's political to say that, he should be, that there should be an investigation of that, both mm-hmm. by the Senate and, and actually by the House, if the House were not uh, governed by people who have really lost their their bearings, um, and by the Justice Department. But mm-hmm. on uh, Judge Kaczmarek, I, I think that what he's done here is something that certainly warrants a referral by the Senate to the, to the Justice Department for uh, possible prosecution under Section 1001 of Title 18 of the United States Code. That's the part of the criminal code that deals with false statements. It doesn't require the statements to be under perjury, meaning under, pardon me, under oath. There's a separate set of statutes for perjury, for 
when people take an oath and, and lie under oath in a federal proceeding. But Section uh, 1001 is the set that applies to if someone gave, gives material false statements to Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a crime if it's false, whether it's under oath or not. In this instance, you have someone who affirmatively, deceptively, actively, willfully hid from the Senate that he wrote this article. Um, he, he did so purposely. I mean, he did so knowing that he was about to be nominated for this position. Mm-hmm. And so he affirmatively deceived Congress. Mm-hmm. The omission of the radio shows, I suppose I could be sympathetic to you because I am on ra- radio with you and <laughs> right. others, and I may not recall everything I said, but I think that when you combine the fact that he, that these two in particular yeah. he did not disclose, which were particularly inflammatory, including, like you said, the notion that any rational, reasonable, modern person would be objecting to no-fall divorce and trying to drag us back to, like, 1960 or 1950, where you had to show cause, mm-hmm. like, that your, your spouse cheated on you um, to leave, not that you have irreconcilable differences, for example. You know, for many people, they could not divorce a spouse who was, who was you know, harming them emotionally mm-hmm. and otherwise not a suitable partner for them. And that, that's, those are archaic views in my personal my personal perspective. And if someone wants to hold those views as a matter of religion, that's for them to apply within their own religion, not to apply to the rest of us through through the law across the board that applies to all people. But you have a situation where Kaczmarek is is someone who has who deceived Congress, deceived Congress in his quest to become a judge. Yep. And then he had no you know, no restraint on his effort to then impose those very same types of personal views that he has held for a long time on anti-abortion views in a case where he has now injected himself in overturning, like you said, nearly a quarter century of law approving this drug and in defiance of longstanding Supreme Court precedents, even precedents that were written by Republican appointees about the importance of national rules regarding the FDA approval process, not having uh, different state-by-state rules or, or different lower court judges striking down such measures and instead having deference to the expertise yep. of the FDA. Not that the FDA is perfect, but they certainly have more expertise than a judge who lied <laughs> to get on the bench. It's it's really mind-blowing. And yeah, and I mean, just the out-and-out fraud of going and saying, hey, take my name off of that, put on some junior colleagues at this right-wing institute that I worked at who had nothing to do with the report. They weren't listed. They weren't in the footnotes. Go ahead, call them the authors. As I am being considered for a federal judgeship for life, a lifetime term on the bench, you add that to, yeah, I guess, arguably, the more uh, political notions where he says, quote, permissive, where, you know, he, he, he derives permissive policies on contraception, add the Mifepristone case, and, well, you know, the Griswold case, I guess you can go back to the 1960s on that, and he could just declare tomorrow that uh, 65, whatever years it is of, uh, of you know, uh, uh, contraceptive pills, that should also be made unlawful, because why not? Judge Kaczmarek says so. Mind-blowing yeah, stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I and I do think I do think that impeachment proceedings should be initiated against him when there's a house that is willing to abide by the rule of law rather than embrace people who affirmatively violated their oath of office to defend the Constitution during the January sixth insurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, people who who conspired with folks trying to attempt a, a, this, in this attempted coup and more. 
if we ever have a House and Senate that does not have the domination by these very regressive elements that have attempted to install uh, people like Donald Trump, and in fact, to install Donald Trump in office despite the election results, I hope there will be proceedings of impeachment against Judge, Ka- Judge Kaczmarek and also certainly against Judge Justice Thomas. I think they should be removed from office. I, I hope that someday we would have a Senate majority large enough to impeach them. If not, I certainly support other measures to deal with this lawlessness mm-hmm. that has been embraced, in essence, by some people who've been entrusted with actually applying the law to the rest of us. Uh, but we have got to have you back more often, Lisa Graves. I always threaten it, but one of these days we will do it. Uh, Lisa Graves is the executive director. i got so much to talk to you about. Uh, executive director of truenorthresearch.org. Of course, a former deputy assistant attorney general at the DOJ, former chief counsel for nominations at the U.S. Senate, former deputy chief for the U.S. court system. You can find her work right now at truenorthresearch.org. And, of course, on the Twitters at the Lisa Graves. Always great speaking with you, Lisa. Looking forward to doing it again much more sooner this time around. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, Brad. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lisa. She is aces. Yes, she is. I'm just saying. (laughs) All right, we got to get out. Thanks to uh, Lisa, of course. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them all for free. You're welcome at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our work by hitting a donate button or going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.